universities. The sultry, hot southern spring had left her strangely tired and a little unnerved. And annoying beyond all other happenings had been that affair of the noon period, now again thrusting itself on her already irritated mind. She had counted on a few spare minutes in which to indulge in the sweet pleasure of a bath and a fresh, cool change of clothing. And instead, her luncheon time had been shortened, as had that of everyone else, and immediately after the hurried gulping down of a heavy hot meal, the hundreds of students and teachers had been herded into the sun-baked chapel to listen to the banal, the patronizing, and even the insulting remarks of one of the renowned white preachers of the state. Helga shuddered a little as she recalled some of the statements made by that holy white man of God to the black folk sitting so respectfully before him. This was, he had told them with obvious sectional pride, the finest school for Negroes anywhere in the country, north or south. In fact, it was better even than a great many schools for white children. And he had dared any northerner to come south and after looking upon this great institution to say that the southerner mistreated the Negro. And he had said that if all Negroes would only take a leaf out of the book of Naxos and conduct themselves in the manner of the Naxos products, there would be no race problem, because Naxos Negroes knew what was expected of them. They had good sense and they had good taste. They knew enough to stay in their places. And that, said the preacher, showed good taste. He spoke of his great admiration for the Negro race. No other race in so short a time had made so much progress. But he had urgently besought them to know when and where to stop. He hoped, he sincerely hoped, that they wouldn't become avaricious and grasping, thinking only of adding to their earthly goods for that would be a sin in the sight of Almighty God. And then he had spoken of contentment, embellishing his words with scriptural quotations, and pointing out to them that it was their duty to be satisfied in the estate to which they had been called, hewers of wood and drawers of water. And then he had prayed. Sitting there in her room long hours after, Helga again felt a surge of hot anger and seething resentment. And again, it subsided in amazement at the memory of the considerable applause which had greeted the speaker just before he had asked his God's blessing upon them. The South. Naxos. Negro education. Suddenly, she hated them all. Strange, too, for this was the thing which she had ardently desired to share in, to be a part of this monument to one man's genius and vision. She pinned a scrap of paper about the bulb under the lamp's shade, for having discarded her book in the certainty that in such moods even Saeed and his audacious villainy could not charm her, she wanted an even more soothing darkness. She wished it were vacation, so that she might get away for a time. No, forever, she said aloud. The minutes gathered into hours, but still she sat motionless, a disdainful smile or an angry frown passing now and then across her face. Somewhere in the room a little clock ticked time away. Somewhere outside a whippoorwill wailed. Evening died. A sweet smell of early southern flowers rushed in on a newly risen breeze which suddenly parted the thin silk curtains at the opened windows. A slender, frail glass vase fell from the sill with a tingling crash, but Helga Crane did not shift her position and the night grew cooler and older. At last she stirred uncertainly, but with an overpowering desire for action of some sort. A second she hesitated, 
then rose abruptly and pressed the electric switch with determined firmness, flooding suddenly the shadowy room with a white glare of light. Next, she made a quick nervous tour to the end of the long room, paused a moment before the old bow-legged secretary that held with almost articulate protest her schoolteacher paraphernalia of drab books and papers. Frantically, Helga Crane clutched at the lot and then flung them violently, scornfully toward the wastebasket. It received a part, allowing the rest to spill untidily over the floor. The girl smiled ironically, seeing in the mess a simile of her own earnest endeavor to inculcate knowledge into her indifferent classes. Yes, it was like that. A few of the ideas which she tried to put into the minds, behind which those baffling ebony, bronze, and gold faces reached their destination, the others were left scattered about. And, like the gay, indifferent wastebasket, it wasn't their fault. No, it wasn't the fault.